1: You're listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Your hosts are Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We talk about the latest going ons at United, look ahead to our next game, and give you an update on the youth sides, the club's Loneys and Casey Stoney's women's team. Enjoy the show. Wonderful finish! Fabulous free kick! He's done it! Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It's June and we're about to watch Manchester United play in the Premier League. It's been a a long time since we've sat on opposite sides of the Atlantic, me and Jack talking about football, and a lot has happened. Thousands, hundreds of thousands more have sadly lost their lives because of the coronavirus and the murder of George Floyd has created an environment in which we are obliged to think, reflect and learn and sometimes protest. So today we will be talking about the extension of Odin Aguilar's loan move, the players we think will do best out of the blocks for Manchester United and how we fit Bruno Fernandes and Paul Popper into the same midfield and we'll give you a quick update on what's happened with Casey Stoney's United's women's side and their season but first Jack, we I think as a, as members of a society in which in both the United Kingdom and the USA we are the, the beneficiaries of greater freedoms and opportunity than uh, our black counterparts, our Asian counterparts and, and many other minorities who who don't share those that same freedom and, and opportunity um, it, it, it's been a A pretty crazy uh few weeks and i think it's a it's a weird one to have to have to talk about and have to plan because this is something that we 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 don't normally talk about because it it doesn't normally affect our lives and i think uh for us it's Quite easy to talk about it when it's in the news and then forget about it for the rest of the time. I think this is is kind of a, a, a seminal moment where, in the future, hopefully, I mean, we'll see if this happens, I and mean, we're gonna have to 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 try and keep this, but where people will talk about this all the time rather than only when it's uh when it's the the headline news.
0: Yeah, it's it's been well, I mean, one of the craziest few weeks I, I think that any of us will ever live through, and, and it, you're right, it really does feel like a seminal moment in in our history I, I think it's it's often difficult when you're living through a certain period to understand how important it is and how sort of historical this will end up being in sort of ten fifteen years' time and uh, I, I mean the last few months in general with with obviously covid and you know unprecedented pandemic, but now with what what really is not just sort of black lives matter protests, which we've seen before, but this movement that has kind of swept across such a a broader Kind of, kind of audience and broader spectrum. I think almost every single person has has been affected by this and has been at least kind of engaging with it in some some capacity. And I think this is probably one of the first times in my lifetime I, I can remember thinking, knowing in the moment that we're living through a a truly historic time. And it and it feels it feels especially important and especially like a seminal moment because you know the the world we live in is is fragile right now with with COVID having destroyed our our kind of way of life you know so much about our daily routine our daily lives have been changed even down to less important things like us being able to do this podcast every week and having Manchester United games to review and I think the combination of having that sort of fragile world combined with now this sort of unprecedented wave wave of, of protests it this it really is a huge moment in our lives and I think it requires all of us even if we are You know, doing a podcast about something seemingly unrelated, it it, it requires all of us to engage with this and and make sure that we are taking the time to, you know, put our thoughts and our energy into thinking yeah. how we might have contributed to this in the past and how we can stop contributing to this in the future. Yeah,
1: and I, I think, look, this is this is a football podcast and, and well, more than anything, it's a Manchester United podcast. And the, the reason we started this, however, four years ago, uh, more than four years ago now, is because we wanted to chat about Manchester United every week and, and do so in some kind of set format rather than just over a, a pint or a cup of tea. But the, you, you think... Uh, you, you've. This is something that that we. I think we have to talk about because even even in starting this podcast, it reflects the the privilege that we've that we've had. Because the reason I could start this podcast was because I got a good education. I come from a family where. Uh, I, I know journalists and, um, I'm, I'm used to, I, I have figures in my life that I can look up to and say, I want, I want to be a journalist. I want to talk about football for a living. And, and, and that's partly why I started this podcast, but also I thought I had the structure where, where I could start a podcast. I had the the financial means to do it. Uh, I I had a laptop good enough to do it. I, I could buy a podca- uh, podcast microphone, whatever. The, these are small things, and are, are besides the bigger point. But I think even in even in starting this podcast, it ref- it reflects that privilege. And in in football, there is there has been an enormous amount of progress made. I think that the biggest progress has, has probably been in in the last ten years. And yet there, there, there really is systemic racism remaining in football, not just from the stands because ultimately what happens in the stands is is a reflection of society and, and that's a, an opinion I've long held. But, but within how we speak about black players, uh, within how few black defensive midfielders are there, how, many, how few black goalkeepers there are at the top level, it's not that black people, black men, black women can't dive and, and catch a ball in the goal, it's that Often, and this is something that Andre Anana, the Ajax keeper, uh, Cameroonian goalkeeper, has spoken about, that that black men and women aren't trusted to that, that they're not deemed safe enough, trustworthy enough to keep a goal in in a football match. They're not they're they're seen as as, as fast, quick, powerful, um, strong, and, and athletic, but they're not seen as reliable, trustworthy, creative.
0: Well, yeah, I, I don't know about you, Harry, but I remember growing up and you know growing up in a big city you'd often come up playing like Sunday League football against teams that were from predominantly black areas and every single member in the team would be black except the goalkeeper. And it I, I can't yeah. count the number of teams I used to play that are like that. And it's so true. It, it I think it often it comes down to this idea that, you know, black players are suited to the positions that don't require so much sort of technical ability. It's as you said, that it's all about the pace, yeah. and the power. It's why so many black players get shunted to fullback where, you know, the, uh, the stereotype is they can just run up and down the wing and barge people off the ball or they can be wingers so they can run run fast. I remember even my school team just, you know, when we, we all kind of first started playing football together, the black players would always be trialled as wingers or forwards because that was where they were seen as most useful. You know, whereas the central midfielders would always be the white players who were, and it, and it, it was like supposed to, have I guess better like technical ability and it just you know racism in football has obviously never been far from the public consciousness with sort of genuine kind of like individual level racism that we've seen in the stands and kind of horrible abuse that has been held at players from fans but I think the sort of underlying systemic racism it's something different I think it's been one of the hardest things about this is trying to explain to people who who maybe aren't Aren't very well versed in racism, but are trying to learn more about the difference between sort of hate crimes like we see when you know black players are called monkeys and and all this stuff, and just despicable abuse versus systemic racism. And that we can still have racism going on, even if you know men in the stands aren't hurling abuse at players. And this is 100% part of that. You know, the pipeline for black players is inherently more difficult than white players, and in football. You know, I think Romelu Lukaku is is a great example of this. Yeah, I mean, and and even Danny Welbeck as well. I mean, when Danny Welbeck first broke into the United team, too, the, you know, he scored an absolute worldie on his debut at Stoke <laughs> with like thirty yards into the top corner. But all anyone wanted to talk about after the after the yeah. game was the pace and power that he showed. It wasn't about the technique on his vo- on his on his uh, goal. It wasn't about the technique that he had in all of his passing. It was the pace and power. And it was the same thing with Lukaku as well. You know that his technique was terrible, and he was just all—he was just a big bully, he was just pace and power. And it—it's so pervasive across all of football.
1: Yeah, and this—this and this interview I read with Andrew and recently, he said he hadn't been signed. This, this is a separate issue. This is more uh, about the. The obvious ha- hate crime that you're you're talking the the kind of the the, the active racism rather than the the systemic passive um, racism and and Anana said he he'd been on the verge of signing for an elite club in in Serie A the Italian league and they'd said his they'd said to his agent one of the directors of the club that he was uh we believe that Anana is a great goalkeeper but unfortunately we cannot sign him a black goalkeeper would bring us a lot of problems in front of our fans now. This is in Italy, but a country that is is far worse than um, the United Kingdom, and there's no argument with that, but in England and, and the rest of the UK, there, there have been so many examples of this, and, and I think the, we do now we are now in, in a place where we see these these active acts of, of racism and, and, and they are widely condemned, they are generally sorted out within football um, and, and there's, there's no debate about them. Anymore, there's there's no one, generally, and, and I say it's because there is, there is some things, but they're they're not being covered up. There they're not being swept under the carpet. They are there's people speaking out. Raheem Sterling speaks out. Uh, Marcus Rashford. So, so many players do. There's no need to do that, but these these problems remain. And in terms of recent examples. And this, uh, I, I was looking at this because I thought, well, I think, it's, I think it's worth reminding ourselves of, of what's gone on recently. And, and, and maybe before, I wouldn't have linked all these things together and I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have remembered them and, and drawn them all together. But on February the 10th of this year, a 12-year-old boy charged in connection with racist chants against Alfredo Morelos, who plays for Rangers, um, Colombian international in Scotland on January the 31st the home office released figures that showed racial incidents in English football has risen by more than 50%. In late January Athletic Bilbao player Naki Williams was subjected to monkey chance by a section of the home crowd against Espanyol in in the Netherlands in November um, first and second division players refused to play in the first minute of matches to after uh, another player had been uh, racially abused from Excelsior uh, at at the Manchester Derby in in, in, uh, the start of December, December the 7th. um, Fred was racially abused as a as a city supporter made monkey noises and, and 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 gestures in in February, a West Ham fan shouted. Uh, Islamophobic abuser at, at Mohamed Salah. Chelsea fans described him as a bomber. An Arsenal fan racially abused uh, Kaladu Koulibaly for, for Napoli. A Burnley supporter charged with a racially aggravated offence against Brighton's Guy Tanbong. Um, Millwall charged by the Football Association. These are these are a selection of a few from the last 12 months. And uh, yes, there's been massive progress made, but that is that's why we have to talk about this.
0: One thing that's a very common misconception with all of this is that i you know, I remember having a conversation with someone a few weeks ago saying, Well, you know not many people are racist anymore, so it doesn't matter, and it's not the point you know there are still so many examples of this happening, and even one is too many to have you know and as as much as as we can we condemn it and we you know we talk we talk it down, we say how bad it is where like where is the action behind it you know kick how long has kick it out being a thing in in football I can remember going to late and orient games as a, you know, seven or eight year old and, and yeah. kick it out was kind of already there. And that's what 12, 13 years ago now. And yet it it's still such a huge problem. And it, if anything, see yeah. it, it may just be that we've got better at detecting it. And that racism has become much more, uh, I guess much, a much bigger thing in, in sort of the public consciousness. And so it's maybe getting more headlines rather than yeah. actually becoming more common. But, you know, this is still such a huge problem that we see it every single week. And you're kind of seeing it today in London. We've, we're recording this on Saturday, the 13th of June. There are just a huge anti-Black Lives Matter protests in London clashing with the police. And, you know, it, without meaning to to generalise, it looks like a lot of the same sort of demographics as sort of the uh, the type of men who are... England you know, away kind of hurling a lot of this racist abuse at football games. Exactly. Yeah. Um And, and so, you know, you just think... It, Yes, we have made some progress, but is I think I think the thing that I wouldn't want to see from this is the Premier League and maybe kick it out or maybe a new organisation take some more drastic action because putting out all these statements and and you know mandating that Premier League clubs do a certain amount of community service hours and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's great and it it looks great on a on a publicity statement, but it, it's not doing enough. It's not getting to the root of the, of, of the problem, and I think. The one thing that I hope comes out of this moment, because there is so much attention on Black Lives Matter, and I think for the for the first time ever, so many white people are starting to kind of reckon a lot more with their role in in sort of creating a a racist society. I hope that the Premier League and and kick it out, and the FA take more action to create a better, more detailed plan because. It, we haven't made enough progress in the yeah. last 15 yeah. years and, and,
1: and, and when the Premier League returns and, and we will get on to, to talk about the return of the Premier League soon but when the Premier League returns the, the 20 club captains have agreed that uh, Black Lives Matter will be on the back of players' uh, shirts in, instead of player names now uh, this is a, a gesture a show it, it, it is nothing more um, and the the cynic inside of me, and I think many people think this is this is this is pointless. And but I think it is worth. And it it it, it you do you do look at it and think yeah. But I think it is worth noting how how significant that is. It's something that would have seemed utterly implausible, even even only weeks ago. The Premier League supporting a movement. Like this, no chance before, and and at the moment I, I despair that we are we are distracted by faulty towers, Little Britain, Harry Enfield. It, it shows how much th- that Black Lives Matter can be supported by the Premier League shows how much the the discourse has shifted. The the Premier League, as uh, Jonathan Liu wrote in in, uh, in the Guardian on on Saturday, it has normally been an institution, and and this is this is a good quote from the piece. So allergically hostile to the discourse of politics ethics and human rights that it allowed clubs to be purchased by actual nation states and uh, this this is a point that it is nothing more than a gesture but it is quite significant the 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 thinking behind yeah,
0: it yeah and, and the point about you know uh, clubs being taken over by actual nation states is i think very very pressing at the moment considering in the last few years we've had rumors of you know united being taken over by saudi crown princes We've had, you know, obviously Manchester City owned by, uh, was it Mubarak, I think is, is his last name. Um, Sheikh Mubarak, who, although not the, the leader mm. of, of the United Arab Emirates, certainly has some extremely close ties to the nation as a whole. We've had rumours of, of the Qatari royal family wanting to buy a Premier League club. It's just, you know, I get, I understand that football is, is a money game to a, in, to a large extent. But there comes a point where you have to you have to start reckoning with with the ethics of of doing this kind of thing and you know especially in the case of Qatar and Saudi Arabia and to a slightly lesser extent the United Arab Emirates, these are countries that routinely are oppressing people in some of the most brutal fashion i mean I don't have the the figure off the top of my head, but hundreds and hundreds of of workers mainly from south asia have have been killed in making stadiums for Qatar's world cup that was you know, got to them through through bribes. In, in Saudi yeah. Arabia, you have some of the most oppressive policies against women in, in the UAE. It's, you know, migrant workers from uh, South and Southeast Asia, you know, put in sort of internment camps for, for their living quarters. And it's just, and that, and that's really not to say that these are the only countries doing this kind of stuff. The UK is, you know, certainly not a bystander in any of that. Yeah. But I think there comes a point where you have to draw a line as the as the Premier League and as an institution that some things are, just unacceptable, uh, and you know I think it's it's a good first step to see Deli yeah. Ali has been banned for his previous tweets about coronavirus. I think that is a good precedent for the Premier League to set that coming out of this, they aren't going to accept you know bad tweets and they aren't just going to say you can't do this anymore. There needs to be some sort of tangible, real consequences yeah. for Premier League players because they are role models and they need to be held to a standard that other people can follow. And the problem is that you know if you tweet something, you get a slap on the wrist and have to apologize and maybe get a few thousand dollar fine, which you'll make back in the next three hours. That doesn't really do anything to stop you from doing it. It needs action. I think yeah. giving out bans to players is is the right course of action.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a, a, an easy way to move on to the. Uh, I was reading uh, another piece in the Athletic. Uh, Adam Crafton interviewed Emil Heskey, and and they were talking about the the Romelu Lukaku song at United. Um, uh, uh, which was a, a pretty big debate a couple of years ago, and it, it's interesting because to the to the to the majority of match going United fans, that was a, a funny song. And to be honest, when I when I first heard it, I thought that that's pretty funny. But we have to educate ourselves on these things. And with that particular example, Romelu Lukaku asked fans not to sing it. So did the club. And, and, and we stopped. And, and at that point, we were able to, to educate ourselves. And I think the problem for me was, I think up until now, and I, I hope this is a point where this changes, there was, there was a big problem that uh, education was kind of forgotten in, in, the, in the process of telling off. And I never got round to singing that song ever because I, I, before the season even began, I think, the... Um, I've read the reasons that it was wrong. It encouraged the the racial stereotype that, that black men have big penises, a myth made up and, and peddled for hundreds of years to discourage white women from from dating black men by uh, a myth peddled by racists. And once once you know that, I think most will probably agree. I, I'm not going to sing that now. I, I now understand. But back then, the debate was it's racist, it's not racist, and so on. And few, and some did, but few said this is why it's wrong. Here's what you need to know, and I think. I think this moment hopefully is kind of changing that around but we should wrap up because we haven't got that much time we need to talk a little bit about real football but um, the, the, the this was another thing from the Heskey piece 11 black, um, sorry, this was another thing from the Hesky piece. 11 FA board members, none of them black. The Lawn Tennis Association, 12 board members, none of them black. Uh, RFU, 14 board members, none of them black. Swim England, 12 board members, none of them black. Same goes for golf, British cycling and UK sport. And this is a problem. There are no black representatives making the decisions which are trying to change the situation of, of racism in sport. And until that happens, you're not going to get the, the correct number, the proportional number of black coaches appointed. You're not going to get the, the correct fines handed down. You're not going to get the correct education. And I, I think that's where sport can really focus its, its, its uh, attentions on in terms of what it can do to change the, the country.
0: Yeah, Emil Heskey's absolutely right. You know, it needs to, to have more representation for non-white people on the on these powerful boards because it's all well and good you know with all the the best intentions in in the world you know if you or i were sat on the premier league board you know we can be saying we all need to educate ourselves we all need to be doing more which is great but it is it's very hard to know what exactly to do without experiencing this stuff yourself and you know we we're sitting here as you know two 20 something white boys and don't get me wrong it's great that we're having these conversations and that we're we're taking the time to engage in these in these issues, but th- so systematic change and and sort of foundational level change isn't going to come about with only white voices involved in making the policies and making these decisions moving forward. And we are yeah. we're starting to see a little bit more involvement from non-white people, whether that's in government or on you know in businesses, or whatever. But sport has such a long way to go because there are you know there are so many very very engaged non-white athletes that are, are just fundamentally kind of cast aside after they retire yeah
1: and I, I think uh, yeah it, it, it's not our place really to to well yeah it's, it's not our place to speak about these things but I, I felt like well we both felt like we had to but really if you want to know about black experiences in, in sport black experiences of racism in, in, in the UK or the USA listen to, to black people read things written by black people not i mean i'm glad you're you're listening to what we're saying um but we are not the people who who should really be listened to um no matter what we say whether whether it's right or wrong um we should it's move on it's a fine on, line, but- to, line
0: to tread because we aren't we aren't the people that that should be listened to but i think we also have you know a, a responsibility as two people that do have a not huge but you know somewhat of a platform i think it it's it's a responsibility on us to make sure that we are yeah. aren't ignoring these things and and talking about them properly and giving them the attention that they deserve on here, but also acknowledge that you know this isn't this isn't going to change if it's only white people involved in kind of charting a new course for what the future of the Premier League and other sports and other and countries will look like
1: yeah but but i think for example we we're going to talk about the um the Bundesliga in our in our next episode but Jaden Sancho made a, a, a his own personal protest when he scored in the Bundesliga with a, yeah. the justice for George Floyd thing Marcus Thuram did the same and these are two black players um now some 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 white people obviously white people have, have have joined the protest in in London and in in different countries different cities everywhere but it it would be it would be great to see well as the Premier League returns as the associations and institutions have said yes you are allowed to to make a a personal protest about George Floyd about racism in the country which is 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 again another significant step for for us to see white football players be sending these messages out because it it is great that Janne Sancho is doing this it's great that Marcus Thuram is doing this but where are the white players speaking up because that that will have an effect and and we are going to move on but football in or the tribalism that has existed within football since the 70s, although hooliganism has, has historically been around since the early 1900s, that tribalism almost encourages these kind of opinions or actions that we're seeing in London on, on this Saturday, June the 13th. And, and for a football fan, it's, it, it's natural to hate the, the other and protect at all costs your own community. And I think as, 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 as people away from football You've got to think, hold on, I, I'm not supporting Manchester United now. I'm a, I'm a person. I, there, there is no other person I need to hate. There is no reason for me to, to defend my community um, at all costs and not look at how we can better ourselves. Um, we should now move on to, to talk very quickly about some football before um, before we, we leave it. But any, any final things to add before we talk about Oddie Nogalo um, extending his stay at Manchester no, United? No, not from me. Cool, right. Oddie Nogalo, is staying until January twenty twenty one. Um, I, that that makes me happy. An o- an obvious choice for for Manchester United, an obvious choice for Odi Nagalo. And to be fair, United have have done well to secure that deal because there was some suggestion that uh, Shanghai were going to to say no, but partly because players can't actually get back into China right now, and United can obviously pay a bit of money. It, it it seems sensible all round. I'm looking forward to watching Odi Nagalo get because it it would have been so sad if he'd had had this this brilliant short spell cut short uh, uh too prematurely.
0: Yeah, I think it was a great move by United. I mean, it made sense for all parties. It was, it was one of those deals that really benefited everyone and it, it made too much sense for it to not get done. But for United's part, I think a great great deal. Like Arlo showed so much for us when he was here from in January, February and, and the start of March. I I, I mean Honestly, he became a really integral part of our lineup. I think not only just coming off the bench, but even games he started in, he provided us so much of a focal point in attack. And I'm really excited to see him, you know, get this opportunity. Um, and it made it made sense as a way of of extending the loan rather than um, you know making it a permanent deal for now because we don't know what Igallo is going to look like after you know a few yeah. months away. And it sounded like Shanghai Shen Shenhua were asking for quite a lot of money for
1: you know yeah. what is
0: despite how good a that has been for us he is a you know an old an older yeah. player who we wouldn't expect to be in United's lineup for more than a yeah, year if, or if two if we
1: couldn't have got him on a loan move then it, 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 there was no point um right united players who we think will do best out of the starting blocks united returned to action on on June the 19th against Tottenham Hotspur uh, our first game at, at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is a, a rubbish name. They need to find a, an actually an actually good name to give it. But uh, we were talking about this before. I think I think the United players. I'm um, well. It, it's kind of a different thing. Which United players are you most excited to see? Uh, and which ones do you think will do best or benefit most from this restart? And and for me, the the answer to that latter question is is Marcus Rashford, Luke Shaw, and Paul Pogba. Shaw, I think, because he gets a chance. He'll he'll be the first choice coming into this. I think. Um, whereas before it was kind of a, a debate between him and Williams and because he, he always benefits from, from being fresh. Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba both coming back from injury and, and both having a chance to... They've obviously benefited from having this this chance to properly recover and, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not that excited for the actual matches that United are going to play um, because of, of uh, the, the fact that I can't go to them, that no fans can go to them, that they are going to be a bit weird and, and, and not proper... Um, Premier League football but what I am excited to see but what I am excited to see is Marcus Rashford
0: oh, yeah I think the the three that I, I picked out were um, Rashford as well because I am very excited to watch him play having been out for so long Dan James uh maybe a little bit out of left field but I, I just felt he'd been in such a rut of form before Covid brought the season to an end prematurely but he finally got his goal in our final game against Lask in the Europa League and I think he, he feels like very much a confidence player. But I also think, you know, that this is a potentially an opportunity for Dan James to be able to come back and, you know, have worked on a, on a few technical aspects of his game, which he may not have had time to to work on before uh, COVID sort of forced everyone into lockdown. So I think he may be able to come back and have a good impact. And then the other one is, is Odin Agallo, who, I mean, really, I feel like it could go either way with Agallo. I think the... The rest could either be great for him to allow him to recharge a little bit and and you know still have this excitement of now being a Man United player for a little bit longer, yeah. or it may 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 be that you know Igarlo is a, as I said an, an older player and sometimes having a few months out can really set back older players and get them out of that rhythm. So we'll see what happens there.
1: Yeah, and and he was in he was he was in such a good run that it yeah. felt it felt like he was kind of scoring and playing so well partly because. He just joined United and he joined late and then scored and then just, just carried on going and going again. And that will obviously have, have disrupted him a bit. Um, right. The, 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 the big, the main thing, apart from Black Lives Matter, that we wanted to talk about um, on, on today, this episode of the podcast is, is how do you fit Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba into the, into the same midfield or kind of what is our ideal Manchester United 11? Now there are, there are so many options to United midfield now and, I think I think the first thing I'll point out is that the problem is that as we saw before once one of Pogba and, and Bruno Fernandes gets injured you're looking at the midfield and thinking yeah I am not completely convinced by now but but with all of them fit you've you've got the options of a three man midfield of, of Pogba Fernandes Fred McTominay Pogba Fernandes McTominay Fred and one of Bruno and and, and Pogba and and this is the thing I think the real debate is both Pogba and, and Bruno can play deep or further forward. It's about who you want in that deep role, I think, because both are, are, are clearly so talented further forward. And, and who do you rely on more at the moment?
0: Yeah, it's a tough question, and what I don't, I don't really think we'd be able to answer until we've seen a couple of games with them playing together. I mean, first and foremost, before kind of talking about how they might they might line up, it is so exciting to have a, a midfield that actually has some exciting options for the first time in. I don't even know sure. how long. I, I mean, probably the, the last time I've probably been this excited about United midfield was when Angel Di Maria was was first putting on a United shirt. In, when was that? Twenty fifteen, <laughs> um, and and that didn't yeah. that didn't end very well. So let's hope this has a has a better ending. But I mean, with the sort of main four options of Fred, McTominay, Pogba, and Bruno Fernandez, we have a genuine selection headache, and in a, in, a, in a good way, probably for the first time in a long time, where that selection headache is you're going to have to leave out some good players rather than we're going to have to play some pretty poor players, which is not a a situation United have been in for a very long time. Um, Yeah, very true. I mean, one thing that I'd be intrigued by, I don't see this happening, especially not the first couple of games back, but one thing I'd be intrigued by would um, be Solskjaer, whether he would be willing to kind of revert to the, uh, the diamond midfield that he actually played against Spurs away last January at Wembley, where... Uh, I can't actually remember who it was yeah. that day. It, it would it would have been Pogba, Lingard, uh, maybe who else would have been there? Maybe McTominay in there and someone else I can't remember now. Herrera,
1: um, Herrera maybe. Yeah, it
0: probably would have been Herrera. Yeah, um, and I mean it worked brilliantly that day against Tottenham. It, it obviously means that we lose a little bit of width going forward, but you know could we potentially get the four of them in a midfield together with sort of McTominay at the at the base, or and then Fred and Pogba um, as the sort of the two in either side, and then Bruno Fernandez at the tip of the diamond. It's something to consider, yeah. but I don't see it happening straight out. Yeah, of the gate. I don't
1: think so. I think I think the interesting thing, and and this is what uh, I think Gary Neville was suggesting it um, or not suggesting it, but he was saying you're asking how do you get the best out of both of them, or how do you fit both of them in when City have had uh, David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne for the last three years and won two Premier League titles. And it, the, I think the the problem for United is is Matic is um, kind of a good holding midfielder but isn't quick enough to, to recover. And then behind him, you've got Maguire and Lindelof at the moment, who neither of whom are, are, are quick enough really to, to, to uh, fulfil that role as well. Whereas I think City, to be fair, City have had their weaknesses, but they've just been so good in attack um, that it, it hasn't mattered. The interesting thing, I think, would be having uh, Pogba and Bruno to the left and right. In a in, in that three man midfield, rather than having yeah. only one of them forward and having someone sitting, I think that's that's the most exciting option. Um, it's just who you who you have uh, at that base of of the midfield. And and while I I like McTominay, I like Fred, and and to be fair, I've, I've I've enjoyed watching Matic actually before before the break. I don't think any of them are good enough for that role. None of them are Fernandini. No,
0: I, I think the one that I would have most confidence in would would probably be McTominay. To, to be able to cover the ground and, and be good enough defensively. But he, mm. my, my one worry with McTominay is that he, he's almost too good going forward, actually. He's really, really improved that aspect of his game this season. And he has a tendency to to join in attacks a lot, which is great when he's not the only holding midfielder there. My worry with Fred is just simply that, you know, he puts himself about, he's a scrappy player, but I don't know if he has the physical presence to, to really be a, a, a good enough
1: holding bit, midfielder on his own. A bit like Herrera
0: yeah exactly exactly and then and then matic has has the opposite problem he he has the physical presence he just he just can't get himself to the ball quickly enough um to put it in the in its simplest form so it it, yeah. it is a bit of a dilemma i also wonder i also wonder whether Solskjaer might consider going to a, a sort of 3 or, or 5 at the back option as well um to maybe add a little bit more protection and then maybe playing a three-man midfield of, of Pogba, Bruno, and then either one of those other three, Fred, McTominay, and Matic, it obviously limits our options in attack a little bit. But, you know, if you if you had a, a back three of sort of Eric Bailly or uh, Axel Twanzebe with Lindelof and Maguire, then with Shaw and Aaron wan as your wing backs, who are, who have shown, you know, they can do a good job in that role. With that three in midfield and then Martial and Rashford up top, that suddenly looks like quite an exciting lineup. Um, it's just whether... Yeah we would want to go to a formation that on paper looks quite defensive by having the three centre-backs in, in games. I mean, against Tottenham, it wouldn't be, look quite so bad. But, you know, if we're playing sort of lower Premier League clubs, the, the optics of that don't look the best.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. But but three at the back does give you some some possibilities in attack that you wouldn't otherwise had. And I think, I, th- I think the problem is that our full-backs who would become... Our wing backs don't really suit suit that. I think Shaw and Williams to a certain extent, but Wan Bissaka is he's clearly more suited to being a, a defensive right back, um, because the timing of his tackle is so good, and and well, he's he's just a brilliant defender, and he's a, an average attacker. So it, it, it's it's a couple of, of of strange ones to to weigh up, and, and it will be it'll be really interesting to see how how Solskjaer puts United out. In that first game against against Spurs, and it's it's something I'm really looking forward to. We're we're gonna um, leave it here in in just a second, but the, the next episode, which we we have released at the same time as this one, um, we're going to be talking about and and previewing the the Tottenham game in in a bit more detail, um, and and talking about how the Premier League's returned, how what we thought of the, of the Bundesliga. Um, the Bundesliga's comeback, um, etc. So we're going to leave it here in a second. But any more thoughts on on no, Pogba, I, and Bruno?
0: I think that, that that's pretty much it for me. I'm excited to to finally see them play together. I feel like I've I've waited for this moment for for years. It feels like, and actually, I guess the the one good thing yeah. about this situation for United is that it has allowed Pogba and Rashford to get back fit, and at least they will be able to contribute in this running. However, however long the run-in ends up taking.
1: Yeah. I think I think the most it's also that Rashford's coming back and we we've never actually seen Rashford play with Bruno Fernandes and I think that's another really exciting. Yeah. And I think I think the great thing is that if, even if both of them aren't performing every game, what you've now got is is two midfielders that the opposition will be scared of. And that means that in, yeah. in previous seasons sometimes we've seen three players on on Pogba and uh a lot of the time this season we've seen three players marking Rashford whereas now You've got the kind of triple attack of, of Bruno, Pogba, and Rashford, Martial. If he if he can find some form again, and, and he was doing doing well before the break, and it's just a bit more variety, and a, a bit you're stretching teams more. And I think that's that's something to look forward to, and it, and it could open up space for other players like like Dan James as well. Um, just before we go, I'm, I'm going to give you a, just a quick update on the, the women's team. The WSL, the Women's Super League season, was uh, was ended. Chelsea were awarded the the title and they and Manchester City have qualified for the Champions League. Um, Manchester United, Casey Stoney's United side. Um, with the season ended early due to the coronavirus, they finished fourth in, a, in our first ever season in the Women's Super League. So it, it started with a, an historic opening day win against Liverpool and, and ends in strange circumstances, but it's been a good campaign to finish fourth in, in only uh, our second season uh, with a women's team is, is, is pretty impressive. And, and everyone has, has really done, done a, a fantastic job with the, the creation of that women's side and, and the way it's gelled. Um, and there's a long way to go about 13, 15 more points to be precise but uh, to catch up with the the leading women's side in the country but it's certainly a positive Um, right please go and listen to our our next episode which will either be out right now or uh, depends when you're listening to this um, where we're going to talk about the Spurs game in some more detail and, and a few other more football-related things. But I hope you've enjoyed all of our conversation, which has been a a, a mixture of, of politics and sport, which they do mix, don't? Never, never try and pretend that they don't. Um, for more from us, uh, you can find Jack on Twitter at, at utdtait, and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four. On the podcast itself, at utdweeklypod that's p o d at the end there. Uh, if you want to support us, you can leave us a review on iTunes or just share it with one of your mates. That's always helpful. Right, have a great week.